And welcome to yet another edition of Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson's stories. I'm Christopher Tidmore, coming to you from Historic Magazine Street in New Orleans, one of Hunter's favorite places. And joining us um, is our co-host and main host of this program, one Curtis Robinson on the coast of Maine, blessedly free of any smoke from Canada. Curtis? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, we are in the middle of the low pressure uh, pumping smoke through the uh, uh, rest of the country. So it, it's been kind of weird. It's just beautiful, uh, a little bit uh, stormy, but uh, at least the air is cleaned. All right. And we have a special guest joining us from Tuscaloosa. Yes, yes, yes. Let me let me jump in and uh, say we have with us today Dr. No less, Dr. Leo Jeffrey Weddle. Jeff Weddle is uh, one of my oldest friends, and by that I mean he is old, and uh, he is a noted author. He, I think his first book, and there may have been subsequent ones, but his first book of note was called Bohemian New Orleans. It was the story of the outsider. New Orleans folks might remember Gypsy Lou Webb and uh, John Webb. Did a, a book out, uh, did a magazine called The Outsider. Uh, the notables that they published, uh, Henry Miller, I think they published the first Charles Bukowski book. So, um, that's all makes Jeff interesting. He's a professor now at the uh, beautiful state of Alabama. We're not going to talk about any of that, <laughs> we're going to talk about Jeff as eyewitness to one of the famous Hunter S. Thompson college visits. And I think late 70s, maybe 1980, and with, with, with better reduction, uh, I wish I had a drum roll, uh, <laughs> Jeff Weddle. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Curtis and Christopher. See, I thought we were going to talk all about my books. I'm, I, I feel um, I feel betrayed. Well, if it's any consolation, Jeff, in a, in a shameless free plug, your books remain on the shelf for sale at the Garden District Bookshop, as they will always remain. So, oh, it, yay! So that's so yes. that, that is still good. But uh, otherwise, no. and, and to continue the blatant plugs, uh, Jeff's book led to my first uh, producer credit many many years ago, and uh, with a Wayne Ewing film, which was. Um, the Outsiders of New Orleans, Lou John Press. Yes, yes, The Outsiders of New Orleans. I always I always hesitate because I always want to say The Outsider. I never remember if it has the S, and it locks me up because you would think Wayne Ewing would not care about that, but I can assure you Wayne Ewing does care about that. Well, Wayne's a good man. So you want me to talk about my uh, experience seeing Hunter Thompson at the University of Kentucky in 1980. Is that right? Yes, that is the ambush interview. Here, here's the thing. Let's get in the Wayback Machine. Hunter Thompson did a bunch of college visits, and it's remarkable how many stories. I, I would say one of every three stories I hear from strangers about Hunter Thompson have to do with meeting him or attending one of these college lectures, and I use the word lecture very loosely. Very loosely. I, was, I was surprised you, you actually attended one in, in, in Kentucky, right? I did. It was in Memorial Coliseum at the University of Kentucky, 1980, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I was an undergraduate at, at UK, uh, English major. And a friend of mine from Paintsville, Kentucky, um, who's also my across-the-hall neighbor at this wonderful old apartment building called the Minor Dixon, he told me that Hunter Thompson was going to be speaking and we needed to go. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. I had no idea who he was talking about. I was just some kid from the mountains of eastern Kentucky, and and I had not been exposed 
to Hunter Thompson. I don't know that I'd even been exposed to Charles Bukowski yet. And as Curtis knows, um, when, I, when that happened, uh, my life changed. But um, so we went. And uh, so do you I, find it interesting? I mean, this is 1980. I mean, Hunter Thompson was internationally famous through the 70s, right? He had already done Campaign Trail. The Vegas book was a big deal. And yet you were, were in college in Kentucky. And it, and it lends itself to, to a theory of mine. I was the same way. I was, I was in college and a guy from Ohio who was a photographer at my paper gave me a couple of books. And it, it, you really want to introduce them academically. And it, it actually took Kentucky a long time to embrace him. Maybe it was the drugs. <laughs> to be honest, you know, I've, I've been in the academy my entire adult life. And I don't recall ever having a conversation with anyone at any time about Hunter Thompson. I brought him up to my students more than once, and I get uh, embarrassed silence or blank stares. It's it's really incredible. But I get the same thing when I talk about other writers. They 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 don't know Kerouac and they don't know Bukowski. It's um, you know the the universities are really falling down on the job on this. There there's um, a real conservatism that um, infests higher education that's just never gone away. Um, so you know that's a sad thing. But also I was from a you know a little tiny town in eastern Kentucky, a different one from you, Curtis. But but you know what it's like. And I went to a public school and and um, nobody there. Um, I'm certain knew about Hunter Thompson. And if, if they did, they kept it to themselves. Well, and I, I want to ask both of you, since you're both products of Appalachia to some extent. Oh, said, no, not to some extent. We're about as Appalachian <laughs> as you can get with, without yeah. having the A tattooed on your forehead. Yeah. So I, I find people who talk about Hunter Thompson and it's amazing how many people do not make the Kentucky connection. I'm like, how could you not know this? But it's, it, it is sort of the reverse. On the one hand, you know, to use old religious terms, a prophet is never appreciated in his home country. But at the same time, people don't associate Hunter Thompson with Kentucky. And yet you two, especially Curtis, who knew him better than anybody knew, that, that is true. Hunter Thompson is true Kentucky, going to shoot at 2 o'clock in the morning. His, his attitudes towards things very much is a child of Appalachia. Why do you think there's that psychological disconnect on, on both sides? Why do you think that? Are you asking me or Curtis? I'll ask, I'll ask you, Jeff, because, you know, I've asked this well, Curtis's you're, you're, question. You're the one, you're you're the the one, one we're interviewing. You're the one we're interviewing. Well, uh, let me just, before I try to delve into that, say that, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali's from Louisville also, and people didn't talk about him back home either. I don't know that, that Kentucky is any different from most places. I don't know if he went to, um, you know, Illinois or Tennessee or Wyoming or wherever and, and talked to kids back in the day when I was growing up that they would all know about Hunter Thompson. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But for me, uh, I can just say that, that uh, I, I was from a not so good public school education in a tiny little conservative town. And when I went to school at the University of Kentucky, it was a pretty staid conservative place there too. I just, the, the avant-garde didn't enter into my life at all until uh, one of my friends, I'm going to name drop Bukowski again, uh, introduced me to Charles Bukowski when I was maybe a junior or senior in college. And I started doing research on him, and then that whole world opened up to me. Now, I, I became really familiar with Hunter Thompson when I got to know Curtis. 
and we can talk about that if you want. But but um, we should say you not only, you know, we we both uh, uh, took the red pill with riders uh, with you, Bukowski, maybe more than Hunter. But uh, it was. Uh, do I remember this story correctly? And I, I know it's not a Bukowski podcast, but didn't you get? letters from Bukowski, you were correspondent with Bukowski because you, you were publishing small magazines. Didn't you get letters from him or poems from him after he died? No, no, we got them. <laughs> That'd be a neat trick. Uh, no, I mean, they were, in, they were in the mail when he died. I don't, I don't mean that, 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 that he came to you from the beyond. And, and now this is the podcast of what happens when writers die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, we yes, your 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 best friends do make your best ghosts. We got them. We got them several months, or maybe even a year before he died. But we didn't publish them until soon after he died. I think we were we didn't have any money or something for that issue, and so we we waited a while before we put it out. Yeah, I got several letters from Bukowski. I've even got a one of a kind document that my buddy, the late great Eric Cash, got from him. It's a writer's block questionnaire that that uh, god knows what this thing's worth it's three or four pages of bukowski answering questions about writer's block nobody's got anything like that but me and so you know start bidding i guess but um it was it was through um researching bukowski that i um realized there was this other literature out there and it was through meeting curtis that i got to know exactly who hunter thompson was and why he was so important and so cool. Yeah, uh, I, I did. I, I was a bit of an evangelist. It's, it, it made it difficult when I when I finally met him because I was such a fanboy that I had to, you know, you know how am I, <laughs> how am I, I going to react? Because you know, there was every chance I would ask him for an autograph within three minutes of walking into his house. And, and well, I, you know, I, was the, I was trying to be cool. The thing is, when you got to know Hunter Thompson, uh, and you were introducing him to people that you knew, I was terrified that you were going to try to introduce me to him because that would have scared the life out of me. And now yeah. I wish, you know, I, I could have, but um, I didn't. And, and well, you were, you were. Well, you are black belt. But so let's go back. Lexington, Kentucky, 1980. What was, yeah. what was it like to, when you, and, and you, you went there because your friend uh, uh, knew who Hunter Thompson was. You presumably knew something. So you went there unprepared. I mean, you didn't know you were going to get Hunter Thompson. Right. Uh, it was a, a packed house. It was Memorial Coliseum, the old basketball stadium where Kentucky used to play back in the day. And it was absolutely packed with students. Seems like we were, we had good seats. I think we were pretty near the, the front. Uh, my overriding memory of the event, other than the big crowd, was that Thompson was um, practically comatose. Uh, he, he, he was... Uh, he was on something, uh, God knows what, uh, drunk pills, I don't know, but but he was feeling it. And I remember thinking, what you know, what's going on? Who is this guy? And why did I come here to listen to this? Um, when, when, when he came up with, was it just him and a, and, and a questioner? Uh, surely to goodness, it wasn't just him and a microphone. It was usually, usually to head things off, people would put him in conversation, we would say now. Oh, what was the stage? Was it just a chair and him? You got to remember, this was going on forty-three years ago, probably. And I was probably, so. What you're saying is, you could make up anything. I could. <laughs> I, I, there, there's a good chance that I'd been drinking before we went. Uh, but my memory, as I'm looking at it now in my mind's eye, is that he was sitting 
uh, maybe behind a card table or something, or you know, just just, just some, some little table with a, and a chair. I don't recall anybody there asking him questions, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just don't remember that. Do you, do you recall anything? Was he talking about in 1980? That was Reagan. Was he talking about politics or 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 what? Or or do you, or is that reaching too far back into the memory bank? Well, it, it is reaching way far back. But as I say, he was pretty much incoherent. I don't remember what he said, and I don't know that I could have told you that night what he said. What was the mood of the crowd? I mean, I've seen video where he's like that. Now you got to understand. I, I've asked him about this, and. I ask him, but you have to realize how much he hated it. The only reason he did it was because people would pay him to do it. And he really, really, truly hated it. So I'm curious, well, but I've seen the crowd, like the more, the, the, the worse it gets for him, the more the crowd goes crazy. Was the mood of the crowd, like, were they throwing stuff or were they yelling <laughs> No, that's a big room. I mean, what do you what do you think that that holds? That it's got to hold ten thousand people. Yeah, it's 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 big. Um, no, I don't remember anybody throwing anything. But I, but as I recall, the the mood was um, was you know kind of electric. Um, people were were engaged and laughing and um, maybe talking back a little bit. It was a fun, strange evening. I wish I had more to tell you. But as I say, it was a long time ago, and I was probably drunk. Well, from the perspective of the inebriated, I, I have to ask you, when you walked away from that evening, did you have an overwhelming desire to read Hunter Thompson? No, I, I didn't read him until I met Curtis many years later. I, I went to work with for, for Curtis at a little newspaper in Kentucky called the Prestonsburg Post. And Curtis and I shared a love of Ernest Hemingway. We talked about Hemingway a lot, and he introduced me, reintroduced me, I guess, to the fact that Hunter Thompson was out there in the world, and I started reading him then. And, of, of course, I loved what I read, but that's, it, it, it took a long time. I, it, I needed somebody like Curtis to open that door for me. Oh, I was, I, you know, the first one's always free. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So when you, when, you, when you were introduced to Hunter Thompson, if I know Curtis, you probably, you probably had some of the political writing. Did you come at Hunter Thompson as a political writer who happened to write this book about fear and loathing in Las Vegas, everything Vegas, or did you come to him um, with the sort of hedonistic side? And oh, by the way, didn't he write something about politics? Well, you you, you got to remember that that I, I'm deeply into Bukowski, and I, I certainly was then, and I, I I remain so. So I came to it for the fun, you know, for the for the drugs and the beer and the all that stuff. Yeah. And I, we should we should say unapologetically should, so. Yeah. Since we have a Bukowski crony with us, we we should say to the Bukowski fans, and there's a lot of overlap. Uh, that's one of the great things about hanging out with Hunter Thompson people is you don't have to explain you know who Bukowski was. But one of the things uh, uh, Bukowski wrote uh, numerous poems about uh, the topic of uh, mine movie and Jeff's book, uh, uh, John and Gypsy Lou Webb. And I'm, I was just reading some Bukowski just the other day, and I, I was shocked to, to, to find a couple poems. Do you know how, how many poems did he write about those guys? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't. I, I could I could probably think of three or four off the top of my head, but probably more than that. He wrote some, some prose about them, too. Um, 
uh, one time you told me a uh, long, long ago that uh, you had asked uh, Hunter uh, about Bukowski, what he thought of him. And as I recall, you said that at first he said he'd never heard of him. And then later, the con- he came up again somehow in conversation, and he admitted that he, he did know his work. And quoting you, quoting him, he said, sometimes he got it pure. I've always held on to that. Yes, yes, I'm sure that's absolutely true. I have no direct recollection of it, but uh, uh, yeah, 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 I would bring him, I would quiz him. I'm surprised he put up with me sometimes because I would quiz him about stuff like that, you know. Uh, you know, uh, we, we had a mutual affection for uh, J.P. Donnelly, the, the the guy, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who wrote uh, The Ginger Man and some others. And it's, uh, it was, uh, uh, he, he read widely and eclectically uh, you know, it dawns on me now that, you know, Hunter was a bit of a frustrated poet. He would he would always say he's a published poet because he published one poem, the, the uh, telegram from, from, what was it, a bad dog in jail or something. It's in, it's in Shark Hunt. But uh, uh, I think he would have liked to have been a poet, uh, maybe in a, in a different life. Well, you know, uh, as they said in, uh, what was that movie, gosh, with Dudley Moore, not all of us drink because we're poets. Some of us drink because we're not poets. Oh, that is from the first Arthur movie. Yeah, that's, that's, great, it. that's a great line. That is a great line. The, uh, hey, uh, that makes it a writer's I, movie, I guess. But you can, it, it, can, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I do have one memory that uh, you're part of, Curtis, that is the really the, the closest thing I have to an, a Hunter Thompson story. And I'd be glad to talk about it if, if you want me to. And it's it's... It, it involves uh, the uh, when we were shooting uh, the Outsiders of New Orleans in in New Orleans that first night, and we were going to go out and celebrate because we had um, we had some great luck with filming Gypsy Lou Webb and, and other people that day. We were so happy we were going to go celebrate. You probably remember what happened. Yes, but it's the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson stories, so you go right ahead. Okay, well. As I say, we'd had this great day shooting, and uh, it was Curtis and Wayne Ewing and myself. And I was, uh, I went up to my room at the hotel to to get cleaned up because we were going to go out on the town in New Orleans uh, and uh, get drunk and have fun. So I came down to the lobby, and there's Curtis on the phone, and he looks um, concerned, serious, not not as I would expect him to look. And as it turns out, he was talking to someone in Aspen, I guess, who uh, had called to tell him that Hunter Thompson had just killed himself. And so instead of the three of us going out on the town, Wayne came down and, and um, the two of you all talked about um, this, this news. We went and sat in the bar there at the hotel and uh, we drank whiskey, uh, watching television, waiting for it to come on the news, with the hope, I guess, that that the report that Curtis had gotten was was not true. And we waited for it to come on the news. And when it finally did, I left uh, to, to to so you two guys could sit and talk about your friend. And uh, I went back up to the room. That's that's the closest thing I have to an actual Hunter Thompson story. 
That's a sad story. <laughs> it, it is, but I've told it a thousand times. I'm <laughs> but, it, but, but, it, but it wasn't. You know, you know, uh, that was a long night, and we we shot the next day, and yep. it, it it turns out I always said it was the one. This is how bad it was. I always said it was the one time I didn't make the call. I just did. I couldn't get up and go the next day. I it was, and then Wayne corrected me. He said, "Oh no, you went." I'm like, "Oh God!" <laughs> it was even worse than that. So it's, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was in the middle. I didn't, re- you know, in recollection, I didn't realize it was the first day of shooting. Yeah. Wayne and I might have Wayne and I might have shot before that, but, but it, that was, was that the same day we shot Gypsy Lou in that wonderful office interview? Yeah, uh, in uh, Ed, Ed Blair's office. I don't think you had shot anything before. If you did, it didn't show up in the film. Um, I think that was the very first day. First time I ever met uh, Lou in the flesh, too. I talked to her on the phone a lot, but that was the first time I was ever in a room with her. Well, the uh, the long reach of the, the, the Hunter Thompson community all the way into uh, outsiders. So it's, uh, it's there. So, so when you, when you teach now, you teach library sciences, correct? Am I, am I, I do. Correct on that? Yes. Do you, do you, um, and I have been uh, uh, a guest lecturer uh, in your, I've always thought that people sort of knew, knew Hunter and, and had some questions, but I guess I was talking to library students, wasn't I? And then also that, you know, his mother, of course, was uh, a head librarian in Louisville. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, she was She was a librarian. And uh, 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 she actually ran, I think she ran the headquarters of, of, of the library there. And uh, that that's the reason he spent so much time in the library. You know, particularly, I think, after his uh, father, his father died when he was, I'm going to say, 15. Um you know, when he was in was it high school age, and so he spent a lot of time in the in the library. Interesting. Yeah, it, it may be because they are um, library school students and not English majors that that they're there's that disconnect. But as I say, it's not just Hunter Thompson. They generally don't know who Kerouac was or Ginsburg or Bukowski. Any of the any of the writers who are not going to be uh, brought up regularly in in uh, you know English courses, folks just don't get anymore. I, I don't understand it. I don't like it. But uh, that's that has been my experience. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, you're I'm more familiar probably than most since I've been looking into it. Do you think Hunter would be welcome on college campuses today? Well, I'd love to have him come by and have a beer. Um, I, I, I think he would be. Shit, uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, I was in preparation for our talk today. I got out my copy of Fear and Loathing that you. Uh, I don't know if you recall this, but you, you gave it to me. You, you got Hunter to inscribe it, and the inscription is um, very non-politically correct. There, there, there is so much, so much virtue signaling on college campuses today that, that. Um, How did he sign it? What's the inscription? Shall I read it? Oh okay. yeah, read, read it, it, please. What do you think? Is that okay with you, Christopher? Oh yes, definitely read it. Goodbye. All right. Burn up your recorder. Okay, here we here we go. Dear Jeff, you have good reason to be afraid. There are too many queers in the world. Get a boat and go out to sea. Good luck. HST Hunter and then at the bottom snow mass December 17th 95. Yeah, it'd be canceled. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, well, it's it, it's Go ahead. Well, I mean, you know it's interesting. You can get at some of the romantic entanglements, I'll put it politely in some of the books like in Rum Diaries, which is basically a rape scene, and a few others, but um he would believe it or not we're raising a amongst the zoomers a almost puritanical generation they would college students would be looking at his drunkenness as somehow antisocial i mean it's it's amazing i've, I've, I've looked at this and i'm like from what century are you guys <laughs> and but I've, I've heard this so you know. I, I agree completely i mean we've we've got armed camps on both sides we've, we've got the the um far right and far left and, and in the middle um you know there's a few folks but on both sides they're puritanical and it's uh, it's really really a, a a scary weird time you know I, I, one thing about hunter thompson that I've, I've thought about many many times is what a shame it is that he wasn't here to write about donald trump well, we spent a year talking about that. <laughs> Hunter would would have said um, in, uh, in, in fear and loathing on the campaign trail, twenty two to twenty four, uh, and um, it would. Um, I, uh, his he basically wrote about Donald Trump. Read what he wrote about George Wallace, and you come very close to what he wrote. He would probably would have written about Donald Trump. Or well, at least, he, cer- he certainly yeah. would have under understood the energy in the movement because he, you know when he wrote about. Um, when he wrote about the Hell's Angels, and when he wrote when he wrote about Wallace, and the thing about it is, when he wrote about Wallace, he he he, he didn't write with that much vitriol. I he he understood the energy. He under he understood the the uh, uh, zeitgeist, if you will, of uh, you know what was fueling that anger. And I think he knew what was fueling that anger with the the Hell's Angels, the 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 outsider movement, and the and the, the anger with uh elites and others it was uh and you know i'm not the first or, or the only one to, to to notice that but yeah I'm, I'm 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 very much in that camp of like boy what is what his head have exploded but but unlike media now it's not like um you can go ask the clintons you know he supported them he helped them but then you know once they were elected he held them to high standards. Let's say he gave he gave them as much hell as everybody else. It wasn't, you know, he warned against the um, what's now being called lesser evilism. Uh, I think that's going to become one word, but it's. Um, but you know, Jeff, you bring up a great point that that it's uh, he's now canceled. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think he would have written about a whole country of swine rather than just Donald Trump and, and you know his inner circle being um, swine. I think the the whole country would have <laughs> he did he did write a book called Generation of Swine. Well, there you go. And uh, yeah, it's like that's a good point, Generation of Swine. Well, there there you have it. And maybe that's what we ought to do. We ought to, we ought to stop you know Generation Z and Generation X and Boomers. We should just be like swine. <laughs> Well, and a greater question that I always wonder about, um, the number of times I have to explain to people that Hunter was writing for Rolling Stone and a lot of the books basically come out of uh, essays and columns he wrote for Rolling Stone. I have to explain that kind of political journalism because 
other than Matt's lobby, who kind of is holding around, it doesn't really exist where there is sort of a counterculture look at politics and life. It's we've become we've so fractured ourselves as a society. We're not just fracturing left and right. We're fracturing categories. And so, you know, you can't look at life from a different perspective and, and throw politics and culture and ideas into it very effectively, which is why this show is something I love and, you know, people love to hate us and it's very good about that, you know, so for that reason. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we get it coming and going. So, Jeff, I got to say on behalf of Hunter Nation, sorry that 1980 did not <laughs> go well for you. Was, was, he, was he on time, though? Uh, one of the things everyone says is, the crowd was whipped up because he was usually late. You know, it was 43 years ago. I don't remember. Because you know where I was going. If he was late, I was going to one. I was going to ask you: Is he also was he also instructive? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish everybody knew why that was funny. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that because that leads us into a horrific pornographic reference. Uh, in a very private joke, but uh, well, there you have it, Jeff. Thanks, thanks for joining us with uh, your your Hunter story and your Bukowski stories. If we do a, you know, you think about there's so much great overlap. I'm thinking about uh, you know someone like Sean Penn, who was uh, such a great, great Hunter world person, and uh, you know, I'm sure he has a you know. If not a physical, at least a psychic Bukowski tattoo. Uh, I just love that there's overlap there. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, then. Uh, On that note, that. and Christopher, thanks, thanks again for uh, teeing us up. And folks, we'll see you on the next edition of Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson stories. Jeff Curtis, as always, thank you very much. Thank you.